Coming to you from Cafe I here in Minneapolis, this is the Miniculture Podcast. Reality sometimes is really not pretty, so. I'm so sweaty. People would be sick or something, so I'd give them all a drink for a nickel. And by the time I opened up 10 minutes later, the bar would be just filled to capacity. I'm your host, Jumande Tway. On the Miniculture Podcast, we listen to the best of Cafe I's arts and culture stories from all over the state. Either somebody's sick, dead, or in jail, or it's Prince, you know, the little thing at 3 a.m. Yeah, you went viral. <laughs> you went viral. My left stroke just went viral. <laughs> Cafe I's volunteer-driven public radio station in the heart of Minneapolis, Cedar Riverside neighborhood. You might have heard my voice before on Cafe I. I host a show called Afric Nomad. On my show, I explore storytelling and music of the Black diaspora, everything from West African to hip hop music. What is the black star? Is it the cat with the black shades, the black car? Is it shining from very far to where you are? It is commonplace and different, intimate and distant, fresher than an infant. Today's episode is called Dress Codes. The way people dress can say a lot about them. Some people dress for comfort, some for work. But most of us, we have some sense of style. I know I do. On today's episode, we're going to break down the different ways men and women dress. We're going to get to the roots of what make people pick their uniform. Me, I used to sag when I was younger. That was my style. Sagging was a way to express myself and buck the system. Sounds cliche, but at that time, I was a teen. That was my style. After a while of expressing myself, I started noticing how people had dressed how I dress were being treated. And slowly it started to click. If I want to be taken seriously and respected, I'm going to have to pull my pants up. Your expression, be it cultural, be it just you. If it doesn't fit the public norm, you will be rejected. And as a black male, that bars you from a lot of opportunities. Producer Will Wright knows all about this. His story, men can be pretty too, looks at Minnesota dandies. These are sharply dressed men of color who dress seriously for success and who aren't afraid of looking pretty. For me, when you get dressed up, you have more confidence as a man. Will wanted to know why dressing well mattered to them. He also put his own looks up for critique. I would say you're working on the edge of comfy. Okay, comfy and casual. Here's Will Wright's story. Men can be pretty too. He's tall, dark, wide, and handsome, like a linebacker that just came from a tailor's shop. His dark brown skin, checkered vest, and salmon suit coat glow with self-confidence. What is your name? Amara Kamara. Where did that come from? Well, I'm from Liberia, West Africa, and I'm of the Mandingo tribe. Kamara is part of a growing group of Twin Cities men of color who call themselves dandies. They want to highlight how men of color support their communities. Well, dandy to me is about being a leader. For me, when you get dressed up, you have more confidence as a man. You know, growing up in Africa, African leaders that I admire, what I saw them doing is what they were dressing up properly. In 2013, Richard Moody created something he calls the Dandies Project. His day job is as a purser for Delta Airlines. I caught up with him at coup d'etat. People rarely use the word dandy anymore, so what is that? You know, dandy really to me is men of color 
who every day wake up and know that they have to step out and be professional. They have to be groomed. It doesn't have to be groomed for expensive designs. It could be groomed from a secondhand store or a thrift store. No matter what the more timid among us think, dandyism or personal style is about using what you wear to leave a memorable impression. It's a dual way. I mean, it's, it's dress, it's education, it's opportunities. But you dress to impress and to get that job. And we need to tell these young people, pull your pants up. You are not getting the job walking in looking like you're coming off a chain game. So when your editor calls you a dandy and you're producing a piece about them, of course he wants you to ask another one to critique your clothes. So you meet one of the dandies, Dapper Dan Michael, at his hidden haberdashery in Minneapolis. As you enter today, you look well put together. You look, um, I would say you're working on the edge of comfy. Okay, comfy and casual. How do you get that sense? Uh, I'm looking at the way in which your clothing is fitting, which is it's, uh, it's looser fitting, right? But it's also, it looks like it's been ironed. Uh, like as you walked in, I was thinking Cubano, like siesta, kind of like I'm enjoying life, I'm relaxed, I'm still a gentleman, I, I, I'm missing the hat. We need the hat to complete, sir. That, yes, the Panama, you need a Panama. It's 70 degrees out, man. No, the straw, the Cuban, the, the straw hat. So I, I'm, I'm missing at least one item. Uh, it would complete the feeling of what you're rocking, and it protects you from the sun as well. Is there anything about the cream and, and red Cubaveta shirt and the, the cream trousers and brown sandals that hit it out of the park? So let me just be really clear. Most men represent themselves very poorly. So the curve in which we're working with, right, you're on the higher end of that curve. Thank you. Getting back to Richard and his dandies, Moody didn't want the project to be just about looking good. He wanted to give back. It, it just kind of happened. I saw a group of young men, and some of them I had worked with on projects before. They always were well-dressed, but they didn't all know each other. So it started by, okay, they got it going on. And then when you dig deeper and realize they didn't get to this point of got it going on easy. I mean, they had struggles as being men of color or growing up wherever they grew up. And now our role is to get the men of color to collaborate, play well in the sandbox, and now give back. So the Dandies published a book with photos flaunting the Dandies themselves. Buy a Dandies project book for $30, and the Dandies donate $10 to children's education. One of the men pictured in the book is Amara Kamara, the Liberian we heard from earlier. For him, being a dandy is about much more than just dressing well. It's about exemplifying who you are as a person, the way you, your way you present yourself. You have to play that role as a gentleman. It's not only about getting pretty. It's all about participating in the community and doing what you're supposed to do as a leader. So men can be pretty? What's that? Men can be pretty. A confident man can be pretty. You, you know, even you, you know, because I know I saw you the last time doing the fundraising and you were well dressed up. Now today again, you look very well. So I, you know, from the first time I saw you, I said, well, he's got to be involved in something. This is Will Wright for KFAI. Our next story takes us back to our past when dandies were more common. I'm talking about Civil War era America. This story isn't about the men. Well, it is, and it isn't. 
She wore a man's shirt with a turned-down collar and a breast pin and seemed very much to enjoy the flavor of a fragrant Havana. The story looks at women who disguise themselves as men to serve in a civil war. And no one thought anything about it until a farmer showed up who claimed that Abraham McDonald was actually his daughter, Mary. Here's Uncivil Women. 1862, the second year of the Civil War. In Minnesota, it was also the year of the Dakota conflict. Men, young and old, made their way to Fort Snelling on the Minnesota and Mississippi rivers. Tents riddled the grassy spaces. Cook fires sent columns of smoke over the rooftops as a bugler sounded assembly for the first regiment of Minnesota Mounted Rangers. Watching the proceedings was a sergeant, a singular presence, on account of the diamond over his chevrons, making him a company first sergeant. Who, according to the newspapers, was very efficient and had plenty of military bearing, but was rather delicate looking. Stephen Osmond is a retired senior historian with the Minnesota Historical Society. For 30 years, he managed Fort Snelling. The name of that soldier was Abraham McDonald. And no one thought anything about it until a farmer showed up who claimed that Abraham McDonald was actually his daughter, Mary. This wasn't some private they were talking about. This was the company first sergeant who bore great responsibility on his delicate shoulders. He couldn't be a woman. But if you look at the 1860 census records, as Stephen Osmond has done, you'll discover that the farmer did have a son named Abraham and a daughter, Mary. The suspicion is that Mary is the one who was there in uniform at Fort Snelling for a month or so, basically acting as the top sergeant in that company of the Minnesota Mounted Rangers until her father showed up and got rid of habeas corpus to get her released. Of course, women had lots of different roles in the Civil War. One of the largest roles was as nurses, but at least 500 women disguised themselves as men and went into the Union Army. Now, at least 500 is a calculated guess. There is documentation on many of these women, but the documentation is not as tight as you would hope it to be. Just like men, women enlisted for adventure, for regular pay, for patriotism. Some enlisted to stay close to family members marching off to war. Occasionally, these women were discovered in field hospitals where injuries required the removal of clothing, others dead on battlefields. In Minnesota, historians are trying to piece together the life stories of Minnesota's Civil War soldiers, but they couldn't help scratching their heads when they came to one record in particular. Terrence Thompson, who enlisted in the first company of Minnesota sharpshooters, then later in Company F of the 6th Minnesota Infantry, and finally served in the 3rd Minnesota Battery of Light Artillery. That's not the confusing part. This is. When you look at the 1860 census, the only Terrence Thompson in the state of Minnesota is a 16-year-old female. And the age seems to match uh, because the Terrence Thompson, who enlisted in 1862, was 18 years old, same age. The best known of these female soldiers with Minnesota ties was Frances Clayton 
or Claylin. Stephen Osmond. May of 1863, she got off a steamboat in St. Paul and created quite a stir, and they put an article in the newspaper. The St. Paul pioneer at that point said, Lady arrived yesterday on the steamship Canada, who had served in a Missouri Cavalry Regiment for 22 months. Her name was Clayton, and she had formerly resided in this city, St. Paul. She and her husband, we believe, had enlisted together. Her husband was killed at the Battle of Murfreesboro, but it is only lately her sex was discovered. How Clayton was discovered is open to conjecture. Did she confess to her superiors after her husband's death? Was she wounded and discovered that way? The press of the day couldn't get the story straight. Clayton had photos taken of herself as a man in uniform and as a woman in flowing dress. The numbers of these photos still floating around suggest that Clayton was making a buck off her notoriety. And why not? Certainly when she arrived in St. Paul, she wasn't hiding from her past. Stephen Osmond reading from the St. Paul Pioneer. She wore a man's shirt with a turned-down collar and a breast pin and seemed very much to enjoy the flavor of a fragrant Havana, which she was smoking with a perfect nonchalance. There are no Civil War monuments dedicated to these women. And in some ways, that's fitting. They weren't fighting to be recognized as women, but as soldiers. This is Britty for KFAI. A hundred and fifty years ago, the Civil War ended. But the Department of Defense didn't remove the ban on women serving in combat until 2013. And that's it for this episode. The Minute Culture Podcast is produced by Zan Holston, Todd Melby, and Nancy Rosenbaum. Our music is by Javier Santiago. Support for Minute Culture is made possible by a grant from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Like what you hear? Don't be shy. Share with your friends on Facebook and Twitter. Or you can leave a review of the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. I'm your host, Jumande Tway. I'm going to get on out of here. Till next time. <laughs>